had left off. Uh, a good proverb. We've got a, several good ones. I hardly get through one anymore, so I'll do my best to get through this one, maybe get to another one. But Proverbs 17 and 12 should come up behind me in the Amplified, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. It says, Let the brute ferocity of a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a self-confident... Oh, don't, isn't that great? Self-confident fool in his folly when he is in a rage. Okay, let's look at it for a minute. First off, you're better off to deal with an upset bear than a stupid, self-confident person. Now, now, that's what that says, isn't it? Okay. Ooh. I'll read it out of the uh, King James. Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. Everybody can agree with me tonight that foolish people are dangerous people. Everybody said? And everybody said? All right. So wise men will avoid a foolish person. And it is a universal fact that a mother bear robbed of her cubs is very dangerous. But such a, a ferocious, and how the Amplified said it, a brutish animal uh, is less trouble than a fool pursuing his perverse ideas. So, so, so you see this upset bear is not as bad as somebody who's foolish in his actions pursuing his own ideas rather than to listen to someone of wise counsel. Okay? That's what it's saying. Now, Solomon condemned the fools and their brute lust by his knowledge of bears. This is how he did it. This is how he put it together. So the wisdom is to spot dangerous, foolish people and avoid them. This is the wisdom that he's teaching in this. What we need to do is spot them. That's not hard to spot a bear with cubs, especially if you're from here to there. And you want to you make yourself as big as possible and back away. You don't turn and run from them. Because you do, they think you're praying, they'll eat you. And now think about that, what I just said. And yet Solomon says it's better to deal with that than to deal with a stupid person. I'm just paraphrasing. Okay, now let's look at some fools. Some, some foolish people are merely lazy and stupid. Everybody said amen. So they're not very dangerous. Okay, according to, uh, look at Ecclesiastes 10.15. Ecclesiastes 10.15. The labor of fools wearies every one of them because he is so ignorant of the ordinary matters that he does not even know how to get to town. Don't you love the... Anybody doesn't read, you should read at least a, a chapter in Proverbs every day the rest of your life. Just, just to get you going. So that's what he says about that. Now, now they're irritating and they're troublesome, but they're not a great threat to a righteous man. Now their foolishness will do them more, more harm than anyone else. For example, the, the, the folly or the foolishness of children and saints can be corrected according to Galatians 3.1. Oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians, who has fascinated or bewitched or cast a spell over you, unto whom right before your very eyes Jesus Christ the Messiah was openly and graphically set forth and portrayed as crucified. So what he was doing to the Galatians, he said, you're, you're silly and you're thoughtless, but I'm correcting you. That's what this, this verse of Scripture was doing to the Galatians, correcting them for how they were thinking. Now, uh, so, the, so they can be, but, but other fools are malicious and scornful. 
and they're very dangerous. The wickedness and the incorrigible fools cannot be corrected no matter what you do. The Bible calls this kind of a person not only profane fools, but they also, it also calls them sons of Belial or evil personified. And I'm not going to get to scriptures, but there's several scriptures that will relate to that in 1 Samuel 23 and 2 Samuel 23 and 1 Kings 21. They are brute beasts to be destroyed, according to 2 Peter 2, 10 and through 12. That one we'll read. And particularly those who walk after the flesh and indulge the lust of polluting passion and scorn and despise authority. Look at this. This is the people. You despise authority. Do not ever despise authority because that puts you in the seat of a scornful individual, a person that we're referring to. You're better off to meet a bear than that kind of person. So be sure that you're not doing this. Presumptuous and daring, self-willed, self-loving creatures. They scoff at and revile dignitaries, glorious ones without trembling. So this is an individual. These are the sons of Belial. Wise men stay far away from those wicked kind of fools. A fool is in his folly when he's out of control and acting by base and profane passions. Rage is the anger of a fool, according to Ecclesiastes 7.9. You consider Cain killing Abel, Simeon and Levi destroying a city against their father's word, Doag killing God's priest, and Nebuchadnezzar heating a furnace sevenfold for good men. And Herod slaughtering Bethlehem's little children. These are the kind of people that Solomon is speaking about in this particular proverb. Now, what bear was ever as merciless and violent as those examples that I just gave you? What bear would be that bad? Now, and there's, you think about that. Angry bears are, are they're stupid. They can be, and they're vicious. But such profane fools are far worse. So it's your duty to learn to identify them and to take pains to avoid them. And it is your duty to rule your lust, your passions, to avoid being a bear yourself. Consider how close the, the sweet psalmist of Israel came to destroying a household for one scorner's ignorant remarks in 1 Samuel 25. David just nearly destroyed a household because of one person's remarks, but he didn't. He didn't. He, he, he controlled himself. There are three American brown bears and one black bear. The grizzly the Alaskan, and the Kodiak. A male Kodiak bear can weigh 1,500 pounds or more. It can be 10 feet tall when standing on its hind legs. And if you try to run, it can reach 35 miles an hour. That's why you don't run from it. If you put up a fence, a Kodiak bear can bite through a half-inch steel bolt. So you're not going to be able to do that. Can you climb a tree? Be sure you get above 10 feet. Oh, you got to forget. That's up top of his head. He can still reach higher than that. And not only that, you got to bear weighs 1,500 pounds. You better have a very large tree. I saw one that was five foot tall trying to shake me out of the tree one time, so, don't, so they can't. Now, a Kodiak bear, he's not going to climb, but a black bear will. And they can get up pretty high. So let's just look at that for a moment. You got bears. I, I've read, you, you know me, I've read several things about it. I've heard several uh, uh, instances where bears have attacked people. Grizzly bears will attack you if you uh, get in the right position. If you shoot uh, a deer or an elk in grizzly bear country, they hear the gun go off, it's a dinner bell. They come running. They will. And so if you try to pack out a quarter of an elk, you go back, the bears claims your kill. And if you don't see him before he sees you, he thinks you're after what belongs to him, and he will attack you, and he will, he will kill you. Now, a grizzly bear, 
You lay down, pretend like you're dead, he'll bat you around a little bit and walk away. He doesn't eat dead people. But a black bear, if you pretend like you're dead, he'll eat you. Okay? So you're just not safe is what I'm saying. But yet, <laughs> but yet Solomon said that a stupid person is worse than that. Now, I, I, get that in your mind. Get that in your mind. That's what he said, that, the, that a foolish person is worse than that. He didn't, you know, and he did not use just any bear in his proverb. Again, most bears are treated at the presence of a man if they're not disturbed or provoked. But he compared the fool and his folly to the female bear, which were getting even worse. The female bear robbed of her cubs. Now, this creature, though smaller than the males, is much more aggressive and dangerous. Have you ever seen a woman, when you mistreat her child, how she can get angry? That's a human woman. You go messing with the cub, and the old mama bear will come right after you. You know, the other day, uh, I, had a, I had a deer crossing the road right in front of my house. And I happened to glance up as a doe. She's walking across the road, and I glanced, and I seen something running down around her legs. And it was this little bitty spotted fawn about a big. And I was thinking to myself, you know, boy, that'd be a good deal, wouldn't it? No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But I, 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 I drove down there. And, uh, you know, very seldom do you see this happen. A lot of times a, a doe will just go ahead and leave. And, but the, the fawn was just over the edge of the road, and I walked down and took a picture of it. But she stood from me to him and watched. And I thought as I was watching her, you know, you're not afraid of me. <laughs> and that's, uh, that can be scary. And you think, a deer? You don't know what a deer can do if you go messing with her young. That's what he was saying here. He said, you know, they can be ferocious. A bear can be ferocious, and they fearlessly will attack any threat to her cubs, anything. So this proverb is frightening. Such bears and such fools are dangerous. That's what he's saying. David's friend Hushai kept Absalom from pursuing his father by comparing David and his, uh, his, his upset mind to a bear robbed of her whelps in 2 Samuel 17 and 8. And it was two such bears that tore 42 children that mocked Elisha in 1 2 Kings 2.23. A wicked ruler over poor people is like a raging bear, a hungry bear leaving its territory to find food. And God compared his judgment of Israel to a female bear robbed of her cubs in Hosea 13 and 8. So you see this used several times throughout the Scripture. And you know what bears look like and where they live, and you can easily avoid them. You know, okay, bears over in this woods, so I'm not going to go in this woods. But the problem with foolish people is you can be sitting next to one. Not here, but you could be. You know, you, you look, you, you, they're, hard, they're hard to spot. Of course, now, you can spot them. There's, there's certain things that you can, you can take into consideration. Number one, they show no fear of God. And they're not holy. They are profane in speech and action. They are arrogant and selfish. They despise authority and they scorn correction. They justify anything they wish. They are earthly minded. They are unmerciful. They are without natural affection. And they have a violent temper. Any one of those will put you in the category of less or something to avoid in consideration of a bear and her cubs. So I would be better off to meet the bear than I would the person that has any of these characteristics. So how can so-called Christians engage in... Now think about this. How can so-called Christians 
And we've all been guilty of this, so we're trying to correct ourselves here. Can engage in angry yelling and temper tantrums in the privacy of their automobile or their home. While called to follow the lamb in speech and actions, they show themselves the children of the lion from hell. And if they say, that's just the way that I am, and I've heard that before from people who should have the Holy Ghost, I doubt it. But if they just say, that's just the way that I am, do you know that you have found a son of Belial? And what you need to do is get away. Now, while separating may be painful at times, it's an order, it's, it is an order from heaven to avoid foolish people, especially angry, scornful, and the vicious kind. Look at, uh, look at 1 Corinthians 15.33. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be so deceived and misled. Evil companionships, communion and associations corrupt and depraved good manners and morals and character. Leave that up there just for a minute. That's a good one. Evil companionship can corrupt you. Be careful what you're hanging out with. And I know we want to win souls to God, but you be sure that that person you're trying to win to God is not corrupting you. And it's for sure you don't want to marry one of them. They do not deserve delight or honor. Great men cut them off even if family or friends. Even if. Now these wicked men that cause so much grief to parents, wives, children, neighbors, and saints have their day coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven according to 1 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 9 with his mighty angels in flaming fire to correct all the inequities that this kind of person causes. So don't you think that anybody's getting away with anything? You let them get away with it. You let them go about their way. You be what you are. You just got to remember that God corrects all things at the end of time. He takes care of things. You leave it alone. You don't need to correct anybody. All right. Proverbs 17, verse 13. Let me read it up here. Whoever rewards evil for good shall, uh, evil shall not depart. I'm sorry. Whoever rewards evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. I think that's about the way it says it here. Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. <clears throat> it is sin to repay evil for evil, according to the Scripture. You don't recompense evil for evil. And it's for sure that you do not recompense evil for good. For vengeance belongs to God. But it is even worse to repay, again, evil for good. For that shows a brutish and devilish heart. And the consequences for such, such difficult, vile conduct are certain. God will severely judge you with perpetual trouble. Does anybody really would like to have perpetual trouble? Anybody really desire that? rest of their life perpetual trouble perpetual motion you know what perpetual is it means it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going you continue to recompense <laughs> good with evil and you will get yourself in a perpetual motion that will never stop you will have evil in your house from now on this is the way to get above. If you could read these Proverbs, internalize these Proverbs, understand what's being said here, you can take so much nastiness out of your life. You really can if you can just understand these. God will severely judge you with perpetual trouble if you do what I said. If you, if you recompense uh, evil for good, this is what will happen. There are two lessons here. First, you should soberly consider all those that have treated you well in your life. 
When's the last time you just stopped and thought about the people that treated you well? When's the last time you did anything for those people? Have you honored them in any way? Have you kindly rewarded their goodness? Second, you should consider those that have despised your goodness. And do not contemplate getting vengeance on them. Because eventually God will grind them down to the ground. That's what I said earlier. God will take care of these things. It's within the human nature to want to try to get recompense. You want to try to, to get even. That's in all of us. We all want to. I had this guy one time that worked for me. His name was Jim Bob. He really was. Okay. And he was, I'm going to tell you the last name because you might know him. And he was this little bitty short guy. I mean, this little short guy. And when he was in school, he was telling me this when he was working for me. When he was in school, you know, he got bullied around a lot because he was a little short guy. And he never forgot anybody that ever bullied him. Never. And so this one particular young man that was bullying him, he got to watching him. Now, Jim Bob was a hunter too, so he, he knew how to do this stuff. He was watching him, and he did the same thing every day. So Jim Bob laid an ambush for him. He went into the bathroom right after school every day. So Jim had this metal lunchbox, and he got right at the door and waited for him to come in, and when he got past the door, he started beating him with that metal lunchbox. He beat this guy so, so, so badly that it put him in the hospital with a metal lunchbox. But, you know, every one of you have contemplated that at one time in your life. Now, come on. Everybody here has contemplated it at one time. Somebody that just kept after you and kept after you, made fun of you. Everybody has. We've got to be careful with that. So you, you have to wonder. That vengeance is not ours. God will grind them into the dust one day, so we just let, it take care, let God take care of it. Noah was a godly father, and he saved his son Ham and Ham's wife from the flood by his personal righteousness, according to Genesis 6 and 8. But when he sinned against his father, when Ham sinned against his father, Ham's family tree was perpetually cursed. You can read that in Genesis 9, verses 18 through 27. Because God, he sinned. Noah saved his son and their family. And then he turned around and sinned against Noah. And because of that, God put a curse on his family, Ham's family, that's a perpetual curse. David killed Goliath for a timid Saul and served, and, and served him well. But Saul was jealous of this, of this godly man and tried to kill him as God destroyed his family and gave the ruling power to the tribe of Judah. And much of his reign was ruined by the envy that consumed his soul and left him hopeless in the end. Here, Saul had everything going for him, but he allowed jealousy to eat him up. And constantly was after David. David served him well, but jealousy ate him up. Now, David justly protected Nabal's, Nabal's sheep and, and shepherds. When Nabal ridiculed David's honorable request, God let him suffer for ten days before killing him and giving his widow to David. You need to consider your benefactors. Remember when somebody's done something nice to you. Now, I, I realize I'm the first one to say this before you even think it. I don't do good things to people to get rewarded for them. None of us do. But on the other side, if somebody does something good for you, I feel like that you owe them. If he does something good for me, 
and he's done it for the right reason, I still owe him. And the problem with, with so many people right now, they don't feel that they owe anybody anything. They expect good things to come. He should do all this good stuff for me. But I don't have to do a thing for you. You know? Hey, he laid carpet for me in my house. And I go by and he's got a flat tire on the side of the road. I'll wave at him. <laughs> you know? Think about it. You know, the Lord, Jesus, befriended and honored Judas Iscariot as one of his 12 apostles. But he chose to betray Jesus for a few pieces of silver. So the blessed and holy God, what did he do? He allowed him to hang himself and the rope broke and he dashed his bowels in the rocks below. Don't think, you know, you look at some of these things and we read them as stories, but who allowed this to happen? Why did it happen this way? You can say he was eat up, he was eat up with conviction for what he did, and he was, no doubt, but God allowed that to happen. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Jesus uh, Christ was Israel's Messiah. He, he preached truth. He healed all that came to him for three years. But the Jews still crucified him. So, so God, what did God do? He brought Roman armies in 17 AD to demolish the nation. 70 AD, Titus surrounded Jerusalem, destroyed the nation, moved every stone in the wall of Jerusalem in the temple. You do not get away. It may take years. Now, you think about it. You know, we look at it in fact, as you're reading a story, 70 years, you know, big deal. 70 years, all this happened. Well, in our lifetime, we, most of us probably wouldn't be alive after that 70-year period, but that doesn't change the fact that it happened. You would only go so far by recompensing evil for good. Now, maybe, maybe you think I'm a little harsh here. I'm not, but maybe you think I am. But you have to consider the crime. To repay evil for good is profanely selfish. It is despicable. It reveals a heart black with ungratefulness. It deserves severe judgment. You consider Jeremiah's hard prayer for God's vengeance on the Jews, persecuting him for preaching the truth in Jeremiah 18, 18. You consider that one. Read that sometime when you have the opportunity. Jesus told his apostles to judge every house and city they entered. If the city neglected their gospel, they were to shake off the dust of their shoes against the city in the day of judgment. Jesus was to be more merciful on Sodom and Gomorrah than on that city, according to Matthew, the 10th chapter. He said, if they don't receive what you have to say, this is New Testament, by the way. He said, you shake your dust off your feet towards that city. And he said, it's going, to be, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than what I'm going to do to that group of people. Okay, now it's our turn. Do you reward evil for good to those who have treated you kindly and well? Every time someone does something good for you, there is a debt created. I said that a little earlier. For your kindness in return, do you pay your debts of care and kindness? Don't get unduly angry against Saul, Nabal, Judas, and the Jews. Try some self-examination. It's one thing for us to say, yeah, well, that's a terrible thing that happened. The Judas should never have done that. But how many times do we do something equally as bad? Have you rewarded your parents for the love, time, effort, and expense they invested in you while you were demanding food, filling your diaper? Sorry, I just thought I'd throw it in there. Then giving them teenage nightmares. I know you're all older, and we had not need teenagers in here to hear all this, but some of you, 
Same way. I know some of your parents probably have been bad to you. But on the other hand, how bad have you been to them? Is there a reason that your parents don't like you? I mean, I, seeing what I have seen and hearing some of the stories that I've heard about kind of some of the nightmares that some, some, of, the, some of you have given your parents, well, there's no wonder they don't want you to come around. They don't even have the Holy Ghost. You know, I know you're all changing. You're, you're all straightened up and you're washing the blood of the Lamb and you're, 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 you're doing right and righteousness and you're doing all this, but they still remember those teenage nightmares. Quiet in the house today. I'm sure none of you agree with what I just said, but you didn't do that. I want you to call your, call your mom and dad and say, hey, let's go out and eat. I'll take you to White Castle. Well, then they would have a reason to throw you out. I mean, no, we won't go there. <laughs> When's the last time you, you wrote to them and thanked them for being a great parent? Bought them a gift? Spent a little time with them in some way? Let's just take it one step further. Have you, have you matched your spouse in affection? Have you been the kind of companion that you need to be? Oh, let's just go further. Have you honored your employer for hiring you? Some of you. You ought to honor him. <laughs> you know, and I'm just as guilty of this one as anybody else. And I'm, I'm, I'm being... A, I, I, I have... I got a. I used to work around law enforcement officers, and I seen some of the things they did. Put a bad taste in my mouth. But you know, regardless of how you feel, and see some of them now, and they all watch too many cop shows on television. They all try to act that way, and they're all young, and they all look like they're in diapers when they pull you over. You know, all that. Then that, you know, but when's the last time that you thanked them for protecting you? I wonder how far that would go when they pulled you over. Well, go ahead and give me your ticket, but thank you for what you do. might turn into a warning ticket. Think about it. Do you reward good neighbors for making life pleasant for you? Do you thank your children for spending their time to visit you? You know, I, I, I'm going to leave this part out because it's about teenagers. and they, uh, I'll, I'll just leave it out because it might give you some ideas. <laughs> You think about what God did for us. You know, God loved us so much. And regardless of the evil that we did, he still took on the flesh, became the Son of God, and came and died for our sins, regardless of what we did, regardless of how we've acted in the past. He loved us that much. And sometimes we need to just remember that simple story there alone. And it can make all the difference in the world for us. Proverbs seventeen fourteen. Proverbs seventeen fourteen. The beginning of strife is one when water first trickles from a crack in a dam. Therefore, stop contention before it becomes worse, and quarreling breaks out. Oh, that's a beautiful one, isn't it? The beginning of strife is when one letteth out water. Therefore, leave off contention before it be meddled with. Okay, first off, I'm going to enlighten you. I'm going to give you a bit of revelation that you've never had before. I think I've given you this revelation before, but most of you have forgotten it. Are you ready? You've got your ears tuned to me. Keep your kids quiet. It takes two people to fight. I didn't get no applause for that revelation. I tell you. <laughs> and guess what? Either party can 
stop the fight if they just let it go. Because once a fight has two combatants, it will get much worse. If an opening is made in an earthen dam or a dike, water does not settle for a small stream. It doesn't work to put your finger in the hole in the dike because that thing will still get bigger no matter what you do. It won't settle for something small, but it quickly eats away. The opening violently escapes in a flood. In the same way, strife will grow quickly. So no matter what you do, unless you let this thing go, you will begin a quarrel and a battle that, will, uh, that, that you don't want to be involved in unless you can learn to say, just forget it, let it go. Now, the problem most of the time, and I'm going to talk to the men about this, women never let anything go. It's always up to the man to make things better. Anybody want to agree with me? Do, do I? That's right. Better to dwell on a narrow rooftop than on a wide roof with a brawling woman. That's, that's a proverb. I haven't got to that one yet. I'll get to that one. And, you know, the Bible calls them a brawling woman. You understand what I'm saying? You know, I, I've got my garage full of boxing gloves and, and, and weight machines just so I can win a fight occasionally. I have to keep working out. That's not always true. All right. It's somewhere along the line, though, somebody has to give in. Isn't it just easier to say, hey, it's not worth fighting? It, it, I, sometimes it makes them matter. Oh, anybody want to agree with that? <laughs> okay, then let's, let's just go with uh, Somebody on this side, tell me how then you stop it. If you, could, you know, you've you got your wife or you, well, we'll just have to use husband and wife. We'll just, uh, Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Uh, okay, whatever we're doing here. Uh, you've, got, you've got this situation coming up, and, you know, you said the wrong thing, and you apologized profusely, but somehow you've pushed the button. And you try to say, well, let's just forget the whole thing. And, ah! and you've just made it worse. Anybody want to tell me how do you diffuse the situation? Anybody want to raise their hand? Tell me how to diffuse it. Well, go ahead, man. Act like you're asleep. That didn't work. Anybody else over here? How do you diffuse the situation? How's a go ahead, brother? Go to the garage. That's how I do it. Go to the garage. Well, I've got little places, secret exits out of my garage. I can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how I get in there. <laughs> Anybody in the middle? I only got four of you here. You want to tell me how to defuse that? There's only one person. That's you. How do you defuse that situation? You have what? You have to deal with the original thing that brought up the, the problem. So you need to talk about it. You need to talk about it. All right, on the left-hand side over here, we got all the... Go ahead, brother. Well, now, if I said something like that, I'd get an uppercut. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sister Dean, how you doing? Soft answer turns away wrath, but the grievous word stirs up anger. All right, go ahead. Now that that's biblical, but it doesn't always work. <laughs> go ahead. That's right. Countdown. Then you better hit the garage and then hurry. Yeah. All right, let's another female answer out here. Come on, some of you young females out here. Go ahead. Immediate responsibility that I did it, right? Yeah. Oh, what if I think that you did it? <laughs> Anybody else? Go ahead. Okay, now, apologies is always right, but it's the way you apologize. And let's, just, uh, let's just forget the whole thing. You've made them mad. It doesn't work. You get down on your knees and beg. That still don't work. You get kicked. And you say, uh, the best thing to do is I, I really didn't expect this to happen. I, I'm leaving. And then go get something, uh, you know, flowers, chocolates, bonbons, something. <laughs> go ahead. Very good. Go ahead. That's right. That's good. That's good memory. Mama bear with whelps. If you, you mess with it. Well. Yeah, that's right. Very good. Go ahead. You, you got any good in? You, uh, no input? Go ahead, man. <laughs> okay, let's see. Let's see. Let's see what Solomon says here concerning this. Wisdom demands we withdraw at the first sign of conflict. Okay, withdraw. So if you see, I don't know, sometimes men, well, not all men, just me probably, we talk too much. Women mostly talk too much, but I got the female gene when it comes to talking. And sometimes you just get to talking and you get to talking so much you forget what you said, and uh, then you get in trouble, okay? So that just happens. So when you begin to see boiling points, you pay attention to certain things. Ears start getting red. You know, you start to see the forehead getting a blush to it. You start to see a trembling coming. Then you withdraw from the conflict, <laughs> back away. That's, that's what Solomon says. And so if we stay and we trade facial expressions, you ever seen that? You ever seen trading facial expressions? There's one right there. She gave me one immediately. <laughs> that, was, that was a trading facial expression, okay? Words or blows, <laughs> a small confrontation can quickly escalate into a major fight. One foolish retort is followed by an angry demand which generates a spiteful contradiction leading to a hasty accusation and soon both parties are foolishly flailing at each other with words or blows. And such conduct is neither wise nor Christian. And never is. 
And it's easy to see the beginning of strife, but who can see and calculate the damage at the end of it? There's always damage at the end. In Solomon's day, water was held and directed by the use of levees, dikes, dams, ditches, and aqueducts. And much of the Israel was dry. It was an agrarian society, and they depended on water. It was common knowledge that a uh, slight opening in a dam or a levee would quickly open wider by the power of the water itself, which would violently become a flood. Very difficult to reduce or stop. A dam is much more easily preserved than it is repaired. To keep them intact, even minor breaches must be avoided. Hear that. It's much easier to preserve than it is to fix afterwards. Strife and contention grow the very same way, quickly and violently, into major battles. And as soon as you sense anger rising or conflict developing, get away and do not meddle any further with the person or the matter. As some say, just let it go. Do not let the fight even get started. Don't let it get started. Do not answer fighting words with other strong words. Do not reply to strife unless you respond with a soft and conciliatory answer to appease the party at the end of the contention. That's, this is what Sister Dean just said a little earlier. If spouses would learn this rule, there would be no marital quarrels. If church members learned this rule, divisions in the congregation would end. If siblings learned it, we might uh, rightly see the phenomena the Bible calls brotherly love. And brotherly kindness and peace could reign with just a little, little wise consideration of water escaping an earthen dam. Here's the wisdom for each man to be a peacemaker whom Jesus blessed. You know, in Matthew 5, 9, we're to be peacemakers. Those are the people that God blesses, the peacemaker. Wise men, and, and, and going back to that, before I go any further, to be a peacemaker, <laughs> let me give you the wisest counsel you're ever going to have. If you step in the middle of a quarrel, you know, even, and I haven't got to that proverb yet, we'll come to it. The man that intermeddleth in strife is not his own, is the one, like, is the one who takes the, uh, a dog by the ears. You ever grab the dog by the ears and see what happens? And that's, that's what Solomon said. To be a peacemaker, sometimes you have to find the right way to get in. If you go in like you're the chief, I had a guy one time. I was in. I was a. I was a bad egg one time. Not anymore, but used to be. And uh, he tried to get in, and he was going to be the big peacemaker. And I wound up wanting to hit him. Because there's a way to do it, and there's a way not to do it. Don't come in like you're some kind of Mr. Clean. When I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm so mad that I can't hardly see straight. You know, there's a right way of doing it. There's a wrong way. You know, and the right way to be a peacemaker is to come in with easy words, not coming in blowing and blustering. That's that's the right way. And I don't care what the kind of battle it is. It may not have to be people hitting one another, but I'm talking about in, in case of just a quarrel. It's best to listen just a little bit and say, is there anything I can do to help? And of the right tone of voice, being a peacemaker. Sometimes you can make a situation much worse thinking that you're trying to do something godly and righteous. You might walk out of there with a black eye. So it's wise. There's a right way of doing things. And that's where the Holy Ghost has to help us. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, we, we have to let God help and guide us in situations like this to, to put out fires. If we all can prevent the dam from breaching, that's the best thing to do. But when the thing is breached, you better be careful if you're in the middle of the torrent. You have to be very cautious with that. You know, wise men... 
and glory and honor defer anger and pass over offenses. Proverbs 19, 11 and 23 tell you this. But a fool will stay meddling. Proverbs 20, verse 3. Righteous men know no pride keeps strife going. They know wisdom does not let anger grow quickly. Contentious men are like adding gasoline to a fire. There's a difference between a peacemaker and a contentious man. Big difference. Scorners should be cast out, Proverbs 22 and 10. But peace lovers will use soft answers and turn away wrath. Christian love demands slow provocation, 1 Corinthians 13 and 4. David said, They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all day long. But I as a deaf man heard not, and I was a dumb man that opened not my mouth. Thus I was a man that heareth not, and whose mouth are no reproofs. In Psalm 38, verses 12 through 14. That's perfect holy wisdom. Perfect holy wisdom. Abraham graciously solved the dispute over land with Lot by letting him make the choice. And Gideon solved another difficult situation by, by appeasing the men of Ephraim. Look at Judges 8, 1 through 3. Judges 8, 1 through 3. And the men of Ephraim said to Gideon, Why have you treated us like this, not calling us when you went to fight with Midian? And they quarreled with him furiously. And he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of your big tribe of Ephraim better than the vintage of my little clan of Ebezer? God has given into your hands the princess of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him was abated when he had said that. Leave that up there. What did he do here? Anybody look at that? Tell me what he did. Raise your hand. What did he say? How did he appease that? He pointed out their value. He said, you guys are big timers. I'm just a little guy. He took them and made them feel good about themselves. That's the key. You make someone feel good about themselves. A soft answer. He made them feel good. You know, you're the big guys. I'm just some little nobody here. It's only in pride that causes this stuff to, to go on. I mean, if someone gets up in front of you and calls you a nasty name, can you allow that to happen? None of us are sure, are we? But Jephthah lacked wisdom, cost many lives in Judges 12, 1 through 6. In the New Testament, two occasions for strife were peacefully ended by the appointment of deacons in the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 6 and Acts 15. But Paul and Barnabas separated company because they could not settle the sharp contention between them in Acts 15, 36. They couldn't settle their problem. They were out preaching the gospel, taking this, this wonderful message of the Holy Ghost all everywhere. And everybody looks at this and thinks, wow, if I could just live back then. They had contention back then. These were two preachers. They couldn't get along. Romans 14 and 1, which is coming up here, talks about weak brethren that are loud in churches. Look at this. As for the man who is a weak believer... Welcome him into your fellowship, but not to criticize his opinions or pass judgment on his scruples or perplex him with discussions. Don't allow disputations to come in. In other words, you look at that real hard for some of us. We want to win somebody to the truth, but sometimes just pounding them. That's just what this is saying. You've got a weak brother. You've got someone who's, got, who's not really strong in all of what we know to be true. 
You don't pound him. You don't beat him to death with it. You try to learn and lead or teach and lead. He needs to learn. You need to teach and lead. That's the key, teach and lead. And sometimes it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. Our Lord taught us to turn the other cheek when hit by another, which perfectly fulfills and expands the wisdom of our proverb. And Paul applied his lesson by teaching us to live peaceably with all men. Even ministers are to reject foolish and unlearned questions who avoid strife. Look at 1 Timothy 1.4. 1 Timothy 1.4. Nor to give importance to or occupy themselves with legends, fables, and myths, and endless genealogies which foster and promote useless speculations and questionings rather than acceptance and faith of God's administration and the divine training that is in faith in that leaning of the entire human personality on God and absolute trust and confidence. Don't give yourself over to a bunch of stupid questions. That's what it's saying. Because sometimes all it does is lead to quarrels, problems. But rather just trust God, believe God's going to take care of it. The end of that's a wonderful one. Next week, I am going to pick up in Proverbs 17 and 17. A friend loveth at all times, and her brother is born for adversity. Now, where are we going to go with that one? Ooh, man, can you imagine? A brother, a friend is a friend at all times. He loves no matter what. Even when you're, you know, one proverb bleeds right into the other one, doesn't it? Let's stand.